So what we're going to be looking at here is this idea of this mystery that God has revealed. And we notice that his mystery that was kept secret is now being made known. And he continues in verse 26 and he says, But now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone, wise, glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Well, the, uh, the great mystery has been revealed, and it's been revealed all over the known world, all over the cosmos to His certain people, the ones that He has chosen to know these things. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, which seems like we go here almost every week, but we cannot miss this. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 and 7. We talked about wisdom last week. The wisdom that He has given to uh, us, His people. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a... What? Mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Amazing thing. They were hidden and then they have been revealed and we get to peek into those and kind of get an idea of what His whole plan is about. Go back to Ephesians in the chapter 3. And here's where you have where the mystery is revealed. Something that was hidden in the past and now has been uncovered. Verse 2, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. Mysteries. The mysteries that have uh, been revealed. Incredible, isn't it? If you look through the New Testament, it says it's, it's now been shown. It's been manifested. Now, if you think of the mystery religions that definitely were on at the time of uh, Paul, you had, um, whether it be uh, Diana, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, that religion. Uh, you can go on and on looking at Athens and all the different religions and philosophies that were brought there. And um, many uh, of the religions today stem off of them, have some of the same beliefs. They'll be based upon certain mysteries. And they would go to the temples, go through certain procedures, and before they were initiated into the knowledge of the mystery, um, it was closely a guarded secret. Until they got up to a certain level, then they would be able to know these mysteries. It just wasn't for anybody. Well, um, that's what a mystery is. It's it's a mystery. It should be something that nobody knows. It's a secret. But in Christianity, once we have that, we can exposit it to other people if 
their ears are opened, they'll be able to understand. If their ears are not opened, it'll still remain uh, a secret. But it, we are not people who have the gospel and we hide it underneath the uh, the rug. Well, we don't do things behind closed doors, do we? We uh, we open this up, like even here, just a little Bible study. It's open to anybody in the community. Anybody can come in here. And that's because we're not a mystery religion. We want people to know these great things of God, don't we? And so we don't operate on, on that principle as the mystery religions did. They were behind closed doors. But as we looked in First uh, Corinthians earlier, just a few moments ago, go back to chapter 2. This is what Paul was telling the people of Corinth who uh, were Greeks, who were into philosophy. And that's why uh, he starts bringing out this idea of of the the mystery. We'll read on a little bit further. We stopped at verse 7. Let's start at 7 again. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom from God, ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they would have really known, they, you wouldn't want to kill the Savior. But to be a Savior, He has to be killed. But as it is written, I have seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You guys, are you after the deep things of God? You want more? You want to keep drinking from that fountain? Well, He has it here. These are some of the deep things. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? How how can man know these spiritual things? He's just a man. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We can understand those things because uh, the Holy Spirit has um, uh, enlightened us on what uh, these great things are. So Christianity um, can know the mysteries. And then, of course, Paul spoke them. He wrote them there. Go back to Matthew. Go to Matthew 11. We touched on this last week. And this is all related to that uh, idea of wisdom and truly perceiving that those gifts that God has given His people. Matthew 11:25 and 26. Here is uh, Jesus praying. It says, At that time Jesus answered, uh, by the way, just to put this in context, he has just rejected Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he's pronounced judgment on on uh, um, that area. Uh, and he had done before. but uh, and, and there is Capernaum. They are the ones that are going to be judged. They had Jesus in their midst. They had the apostles there. That's where they had their headquarters. They were He was giving truth just constantly. But yet they were held highly responsible for what he had given. And it's they're going to be judged even more than Chorazin and Bethsaida, which had already been judged, because Christ had been there. He had taught there. And then Jesus prays. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, 
Father, Lord of heaven. He's answering as he's praying to the Lord in heaven, his Father, and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent people of the world, the so-called wise, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. It seemed pleasurable for you to do that. It was His good pleasure, wasn't it? As it says in Ephesians chapter 2, His will is according to His good pleasure. He desires to do that. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Take a seat if you like. Well, anyway. Great. Okay, go right ahead. Um, if um, we 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 think about a a secret, and it's beyond the reach of the natural human mind, these deep things of God that go back to the ages before mankind even existed, and our human minds are just that. They're human. They're finite. They cannot go into the spiritual realm unless God is the one that opens up the mind, brings the Spirit of God in there, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2, and then you're able to now know some of the things that God uh, has, has revealed. He unfolds it. He unveils it to believers. To believers only. Not to unbelievers. Now, the Gospel is offered to unbelievers, but they cannot understand these things until the Spirit of God uh, lives there. But the mystery has now been revealed to Christians. It's opened up. It's unfolded. The truths are here. Uh, the Word and the Spirit of God go together. Christians proclaim the message. We don't conceal it behind the closed doors. We have the mystery, uh, just, just the Gospel itself, that people are lost, that they have uh, committed uh, acts against a holy God because of their nature, is already sinful. So they cannot be good in themselves. And then the good news is the fact that uh, Christ is the one who uh, takes one's place at the cross, and uh, that's where one is uh, actually saved. And uh, it's a supernatural work of God. But we desire for everyone to hear it, don't we? But we know that it's going to take a work of God for them to be able to understand even the, the simple gospel. That they'd even be able to understand that they are sinners, that God is holy, and uh, that there is good news in, in Christ. So this was all done according to His good pleasure. If you go back to your Ephesians passage, it wasn't done... He, he, didn't, he didn't die on the cross to make us happy, <laughs> did He? And he just didn't die. He did die on the cross to save us, but that wasn't the end of all things. We would like to think that sometimes. We think the world and everything revolves around us, but that is not the real reason why God has done that. Verse seven is tremendous. Verse seven is a fantastically great verse, uh, and, and well, it should be. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches. Of His grace. I mean, we just jump on that and go, wow, this is, this is awesome. And it is. But even more so, verse 9 says, "...having made known to us the mystery of His will according to 
His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. It, it was His will that He do this. He, he, it was His pleasure. The desire on God's part is, is dominated by His good pleasure. God does things in, in His pleasure. The word there is eudokia, good pleasure. Uh, his good pleasure is just not arbitrary. Picks one here and there just to be picking out of nowhere, but that which would contribute to uh, most to the well-being, uh, blessing of the saints. It's his will, his choice, his delight, his pleasure. Uh, that's the idea here. His satisfaction. So it all starts with God. We cannot be satisfied. We can't be delighted. We can't have pleasure unless God has that. And and He well does. But anyway, the purpose is is for God's own determination. He is free to do that. It originated in His own gracious mind. All of salvation plan and, and everything that even goes beyond us being saved. You know, of course, the cross is at the center of all this, but we think about uh, what a great salvation we have, and we have to keep going back further about this gracious God and how what He was thinking. Christ was made known to us, and the gospel was preached to us, and it wasn't because we deserved any of that. We didn't deserve for the gospel to ever come to us, did we? We, we, there wasn't anything in us. There was no such thing. But it was because it pleased God to do that. He did it before the foundation of the world. And that's where the salvation started. That's an incredible thought, but it's all about Him. And so He goes, he goes even further, further than the idea of our own salvation, which to us is the most important thing. I mean, if we don't have salvation, we can't understand these other things. But once we get past that, we keep climbing up this tremendous majestic mountain we keep seeing this trem- just an awesome fantastic view of the bigness of God just incredible now we come to that great verse 10 this uh, this is the one that we were talking about where uh, this is where it kind of all heads to and we've kind of seen this something before in the first uh Six verses, three through six, which was featured on uh, about the Father. And for the most part, in verse seven through about twelve is the person of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit is in verse 13 and 14 for the most part. But uh, when we read verse five, it looks a lot like verse nine and ten, verse five and six do. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Here we go according to the good pleasure of His will, His will is done because it's it's based upon His pleasure, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Then He started talking about what Christ did. And of course, what happened at the cross. And you have redemption. And you have the atonement. And then we get into verse 10, uh, 9 and 10, mystery of His will. There's the, His pleasure, His purpose. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. 
We're still focusing on Christ, right? We're always focused on Christ. But that's that's where everything is, uh, has been headed. So, the nature of the mystery, it's found here in verse 10. The key to understanding the main purpose of Ephesians, it's right here. The key to understanding the whole theme of all Scripture, it's right here in verse 10. Can you find any greater verse than this? This is God's ultimate purpose that extends far beyond. This is the grand final purpose. Our minds cannot think of anything greater. So that's why we can take peace with all the things that are going on in the world. Okay, let's uh, let's go into this a little bit. Verse 10. Uh, my version will say dispensation. Uh, you might have administration. Uh, any other words there? Administration, possibly. Well, the word is oikonomia. And house is part of that oika. Namia is dealing with law or rule. House rule, house law. What do we get out of that? It's dealing with the management of a house. Um, it deals with stewardship over a house. Management. Uh oversight of something. This is one way to define it. Now, where we're heading to and how we're going to define it in a few moments is going to be a little bit different from that, even though it'll be related. But we're just saying, normally, that's what this word will mean uh, to administer somebody else's property. Oikonomia. You've heard of economics? What's related to oikonomia? That's our English word comes out of the Greek there. Uh, stewardship, overseer, uh, administrating. Uh, I think uh, it can be said here it speaks of an administration of God. Over a certain period of time, He manages the affairs of mankind. God is managing this. This is His stewardship. This is His thing. Now, to get down into where we're at and what this verse means in the context of it all, it would mean an economy or a plan, a scheme. It's his overall plan. Um, it deals with a method that God will administer with over a particular time, and the particular time is the fullness of times, as he uses it in verse 10. So it's his plan and his method that he uses in this plan over the fullness of times to get into that word in a moment. Um, one guy defines it as this. That which is being ministered by God is the fullness of times. He's administering the whole ramification or when it all comes to its consummation, the fullness of times, as we know it, this world. Um, it says, God will in fact orchestrate and administer the events and direction and course of history to bring about his ultimate purpose. Here is a God who is in control of all things. He's orchestrating it all. And he's making it go to the very direction of where he always has had planned. And it will get there, and it will get there in his perfect time. And it's all because of his good pleasure. His will is perfect. His timing is perfect. What he wants to happen will happen. 
and it's, and it's the right time for it to happen. It's always the perfect time to happen. He's going to achieve his purpose. F.F. Bruce, he put it like this. When the time is ripe for the consummation of his purpose, in his providential overruling, and that's a good word for all of this, in his providential overruling of the course of the world, that consummation will be realized. Christians know this. This would sound outlandish to anybody who's not a Christian. You know, how can you even say that? We know without a doubt, 100%, even better than we know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now, we know that this fullness of times will be done in the way that God wants it. Absolute, 100% we know that. God yeah, that's that's kind of we're working to even and going up all the way up into that. Yeah, uh, go to Ephesians three, verse uh, nine. Now we'll pick it up in verse eight. To me, who am less, and we we got into this last week, than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is speaking the what kind of riches? The unsearchable. It goes far beyond what our minds can fathom. And here we go. And to make all see what is the fellowship or the word might be administration. It's oikonomia of the mystery. There's the word that we're connecting with back in verse 9, right? which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known, be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was saying, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what my plan is, is to tell everybody that are Christians this great mystery. This plan of the ages. And that through Christ, it will all be accomplished. This ultimate, supreme plan. The mystery that has been revealed is that God has a great scheme. A schematic here. He has a plan. An economy with respect to the cosmos, the world, the arranged order. With respect to that, he's bringing it into operation. It's already kicked into gear, but there's a consummation of it, a fullness of this. That's where we'll get into that phrase, fullness of the times. That's where we're at. Um, That in the administration of the fullness of the times, there in verse 10, pleroma, fullness, uh, means to bring to completion, to be filled up. Filled up to the brim, complete. On this great purpose that was in the mind of God, long before creation, it's going to be fulfilled. And the time when this comes will be the end of the ages, comes in the plan of God. Now, he uses that word fullness, pleroma, in Galatians 4. There it's speaking about when Christ came to earth the first time. 
we've heard of this one. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. The fullness of time. So there was a fullness of time. It was the plan that the Messiah would come, that He would, um, of course, uh, be the sacrifice for His people and that He would take their sin away. Yeah, Eldon. Don't you think that there are numerous fulfillments of this down through the ages? Like the revelation that it was the fullness of time for Christ to come. I think what he's revealing here is not only looking forward to when Christ comes back again and all things in heaven and earth are that's part of the mystery. I think the immediate mystery right here that he's talking about is that the Gentiles are a part of the church the same as the Jews are. If you look on over in chapter 2. He came to reconcile them both in one body. This was a revelation to the people at that time. I mean, the ones that had had an end with God was always the Jews. And here he's saying now, the mystery is part of that mystery, one step of it is that the Gentiles also have a place in the kingdom of God. And yep. there is a further revelation when he comes of this mystery, when he gets the summing up of all things in Christ, in heaven and earth. Yeah, I think that's what... That's what it's, been, it's been kicked into gear. Yeah, it's, but it's not this. It, it's God's plan from the very beginning. Mine says... I don't know what the words were you were reading for little. Mine says it was his intention from the beginning in verse uh, 9 and then in verse uh, 5. It was his intention to do this from the very beginning, to reveal this. And the mystery was revealed in stages. Yeah. And in these last days, and that's that's the point, We're and, and we'll be seeing these next few verses, he's revealed his son. The last day started with who? Christ, right? When He came the first time. And so we're in those last days. We could be in the last of the last days, or there could be many more days. The, the fact of the matter is, Christ split, as far as the, the time is concerned, as far as the way that humans look at it. Um, and, and all of this is being worked out by God. To Him, He's not bound by any time. But as we as humans look at it, we can see that um, this is all coming in into fulfillment, and, and uh, of course, what you have—I uh, uh, think—an overwhelming thought of, of thinking: this we're getting into God's plan. It sounds kind of simple because we, we realize, yeah, uh, what's going to happen, and we, we've seen the end of the book, haven't we? We win, right? <laughs> but the the depth of that is incredible. How many people really know that uh, in in this age? Go to 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, there he's going to talk about uh, the end of the ages, which has already come. It's talking about last days there. Now, that, granted, there's still more to come, obviously, because here we are here 2,000 years later. But in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Now all these things happened to them as examples. The Old Testament people there that were out in the wilderness. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages... Have come. 
as as we said here now, we're we're at uh, in in one sense we're in the last days because uh, uh, of the of Messiah that that has already been here. What verse in ten? That was in verse eleven. Okay. So there he's saying they have already come, uh, and in in that the sense that this this has been you know started. Or you think of your Hebrews one, one and two. God, who at various times and in various ways, many different over many different years and many ways, He spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, and then He splits time here. Has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made all the worlds. So. Um, the whole span of time, I guess you could say, has been divided by the coming of Christ into the world. The days we're in are the, the last days. God's great plan began to come into operation. And it's always it's always been operating, just exactly the way that He wanted. And then, of course, we think of um, splitting it in the sense that everything goes back to the cross, the way that we look at it. You know, that's that's where it's at. His plan is, is worked out there. His plan will continue all the way to the point when Christ comes back and uh, we get to uh, we get to see the very glory of, of Christ so the, the interpretation would be the great plan of God will continue until it's finally completed by Christ's return again to the world so it takes in uh, a lot doesn't it takes in from the very uh, outset uh, the foundation going all the way back to uh, the foundation to up to the, the present time to the time that, that he comes back um, next phrase in uh, verse 10 that um, he might gather together in one all things in Christ and you'll notice how often do you see those two words together in Ephesians 1 in Christ in Christ in Christ Everything, everything is found in Him. Uh, would you say Christ is essential to Christianity? <laughs> he is the focus of it all. You don't have Christianity if you don't have Christ. He's, he's at the very heart of it. Jesus is the very goal of history because it's going to be summed up in Him. Uh, it finds its, all of its resolution in Him. He resolves all. The paradise was lost in who? Adam. It's regained again, and notice I say again, in Christ. In Adam. In Christ. Man. In God. And that's why in Ephesians he'll use the word again that he might gather together one and all things of Christ. In the Greek, you don't see um, again in your versions, do you? Uh, uh, Ephesians 1.10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together one in one all things in Christ. That you don't see the again, but in the Greek it's there. He will gather together again. Not merely just to unite, but to reunite. Because there was a time before sin. <laughs> and you said gather together. Mine says the summing up. Mm-hmm. I think that is a little more just a description of the end, the summing it all up. 
other than just bringing together. Yeah, and that's that's why I'm saying that's that's that um, idea of. Um, I'm trying to think of the word that was there, but it, it was to to reunify and to do it um, and put it like that. Yeah, and and matter of fact, uh, your translation some might say sum up. Uh, you add it up all together, and here's where we arrive. What is it? Okay, unite. And and uh, as some have said, and I'll say, I don't think you'll see it in your translations, but to to reunite, not to really press that, but it's talking about you know if you think about the way that it was before sin, and then now the way it is again, he's putting that together, only even even better. Uh, this is still on his plan. It's a little at the end here, so this is why Paul is stressing the unity of the Jews and Gentiles in the church and the practice of love among Christians. And that uh, this does not simply refer to the future it has already come to bring redemption and adoption of his death and resurrection. And he's already assumed headship. Yep. Already over the church and behind the scenes. Yep. I've got a Lloyd Jones note here. Let's go for it. And we might like it. On that very point you're making, God will ultimately restore the original harmony and reunite or unite again all things in Christ. Christ is overall, and the old harmony will be restored. Yeah. So what he's saying, there's there's still that future tense that we haven't come to yet. It has already started, but there's still that uh, where all of creation. And we'll get to that in a moment. We're just we're talking about creation, the pl- plants, animals. Um, people, the good angels, yeah. And uh, boy, isn't it good to know that? I mean, we know that, but well, the more you think about it, um, to sum up, to reunify, to reestablish harmony, uh, there was discord. That takes us back to sin, doesn't it? There was division that once existed. So, and everything has really been disintegrating, and it's on a downward spiral. And of course, if you talk uh, about the second law of thermodynamics or entropy, everything is going down, isn't it? Disintegrating. And he will bring that back into submission to his will. And everything will be subservient to his great glory and majesty. And the entire universe will be involved in this. Yeah, Bill. There's a lot of comfort in that. It's just that our flesh... <laughs> refuses to take comfort in that. You know. Th- that's a good way to think because you're thinking, okay, hey, there's some crazy things happening out here. Yes, there are. How, how many more things are going to... What's happening to our economy? Since we're using that word oikonomia, was, you know, we're so... We're, we, and we should be concerned with the fact of what's happening, but don't get lost in it. Go right to here and say, hey, God's working all of this together. Yeah, we should take great comfort in this. This is the answer that we have to the people that are going to be uh, maybe almost destroyed because of what can happen in this world today. And we have the answer. Look how far this goes. Um, has anybody ever heard of Stephen Hawkins? Mathematician? Heard of him? Yeah, he, he's uh, one of the most famous mathematical professors that was at Cambridge, and uh, he was trying to come up with this one great 
single formula, one formula that would embrace all of life, just everything. He's going to put this on a blackboard, a never-ending blackboard. You can imagine a blackboard from this wall to that wall, and you've seen where they've had all of these figures up, you know, and they'll go from one to another, you know, and well, there's a TV show, and this guy's a tremendous mathematician. What is he? Numbers. Numbers, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's brilliant, right? And But he's always putting this, and... and these mathematicians, they want to get everything where they can put it on a board and, and get an equation and then finally reach uh, the, the absolute answer to it all, like uh, Einstein, in fact, of a uh, theory of relativity, I guess. And then science could boldly proclaim, you know, that they have the answers and all of these symbols that are on a chalkboard or today on a computer or whatever, great big screen. You know how deadly that would be if you get the answer with all these figures? Well, we know that it all comes from God, but every Christian knows what the real mystery of life is. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to discover the mystery of life by equations. <laughs> and we just read it here. There it is. The answer is right there. It's so basic. God didn't leave it a mystery. It, it has been opened up. Um, this formula, it, it's, it's about a person. <laughs> it's a glorious person, person of Jesus Christ. So he intends to sum up the universe in Jesus Christ. Simple. That lies before the whole universe. The plan of God. He's going to achieve it. And he says all things. All things, all things. Okay. Go to Romans 8, 18. Here's the summing up of it. The last days, they started. He's still working it. He's building up to the crescendo where it will all finally be done. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that's what we're in now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's a future tense. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God. Uh, this would be the final part of you have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. This is the glorification of the saints, the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because of Him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who had the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Every time I wake up in the morning, I'm groaning. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it says it here, right? Uh, you young guys, you'll know later. Right? <laughs> but we're, we're eagerly waiting. I, and I like that that Greek word. I say it all the time, but it's where... It's like somebody just stretches out their neck. They're just waiting. You know, they can't wait. You know, that's what we're doing. Eagerly waiting for the adoption. He's not talking about adoption as in salvation, being adopted into the family. We're already in that. But he goes on to say the redemption of our body, the glorification of it. 
trade these bodies in for new ones. Ha! Yeah. Yes, uh, that's what it's about. <laughs> I totally like that. The inanimate creation and the elect. They're involved in that, right? Soteriological reconciliation. Whoa. You like that? <laughs> that's not in your study guide, I don't think. Um, you want to write that one on the board? I, I, how's it? <laughs> yeah, I don't even think you can say it. <laughs> Soteriological. Soter is dealing with uh, salvation, uh, the ultimate salvation, where it's all reconciled, finally. Yeah. That's okay, right? Okay. <laughs> Second Peter. Second Peter. 3.13. There is a final culmination. I'm glad a lot of it has already taken place and is taking place. But he says in verse 13, 3.13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness not only will live there, it will dominate. It will absolutely penetrate and be over everything. The righteousness. Because Christ is there. We look forward to these things, don't we? Uh, you can see in verse uh, verse 10 it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Because you know these things are going to happen. Then here's what you're to do. Live a holy life now looking for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Taking it up to that, that culmination, the, uh, all, of, all of creation, the animal world, uh, all the, the plant world, humanity, uh, no more tornadoes, no more earthquakes, floods, tsunamis. Uh, anything that has corrupted this earth and what sin has done, it's all reconciled. And then you think of the fallen angels. They don't get a second chance. Their time is over. But what about the ones who didn't fall? Well, um, you know, their ministry right now brings them into a contact with sin and evil of this world. Because they are serving God, they're serving us, aren't they? They're ministering spirits, as it says in Hebrews. So when they do that, they have to come into contact with this sinful world that we're in. And so it'll even make a better place for them. Herman Bavink said this, Round about us we observe so many facts which seem to be unreasonable. I mean, we just look around in the world today. So much undeserved suffering, such as child abuse, or think about all the things that are going on, wickedness. So many unaccountable calamities, such as uneven and inexplicable distribution of destiny, and such an enormous contrast between the extremes of joy and sorrow, that anyone reflecting on these things is forced to choose between viewing this universe as if it were governed by the blind will of a benign deity. That means this God just doesn't care. He just goes out and just does whatever He wants. And look what looks look at the uh, havoc that He's wreaking. Look what God has done here. And that's 
That's pessimism, isn't it? Or, upon the basis of Scripture, and by faith, to rest, this is what you were talking about, to rest in the absolute and sovereign, yet however incomprehensible, wise and holy will of Him will one day cause the full light of heaven to dawn upon these mysteries of life. Fancy words to be saying just what we read in verse 10. Does it mean absolutely everything everywhere? And does that mean every man that's ever been born? No, because that would be universalism. Does it mean all intelligent beings? No, universalism. Does it mean Jews will be in heaven and Gentiles on earth, which some people exposit? No. Does it mean the redeemed in heaven already and the redeemed who remain? Does it mean the good angels, created universe, all the redeemed? Harmony to all the saved people. Harmony in all the earth. Harmony in all the entire universe. Harmony everywhere. You look at Psalm 2 and you see how um, because of Christ and the Messiah um, all the nations are raging and such, you know. But then you see how God has all this in His plan. So history belongs to God and uh, Satan is uh, just been used as a pawn. History is written, directed by its creator, the plan of the ages, and he's going to see it through to fulfillment. It's his own ultimate purpose. Let's use that word. The summing up of all things. Can you imagine that universe that was brought in uh, to sin, what man did, had a pristine state that it had, and the saved of the human race get the privilege of living on a new earth and the way that God intends here, and uh, the endless eternal ages will begin. Summing it up. We play a... Play a part of that right now, don't we? God has a great plan. Anyway, that's verse 10. And you'll notice the last two words in Him. And so, the glory is all Christ, isn't it? You notice it's all about Him. The focus. Any comments? Questions? Looks like the next verse starts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can't miss that, can you? How can you miss the person of Christ? In Him. In Him. In Him. I'm overwhelmed at uh, this chapter. Every verse is just pregnant with super doctrine about who God is. And because of that, it fills us with joy and comfort and we can take great, uh, I guess you can say comfort in the sense that it doesn't matter what's going on in the sense that we know what's going to happen ultimately.
Where we it, what, what's hard is, you know, even this this world that's out among us, un- for them to understand that everything is surrounded by this one man in this one event of time at the cross and the resurrection. It's just, it's just, in, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to fathom sometimes. You know, even as as a person who has the Holy Spirit, to even understand and even fathom what has been done and uh, and where we're headed, and that's why it's so so much easier to believe about the blindness of the of the, of the world and how and how God has to reveal it to them, because otherwise, you know, without that reformed view, you drive yourself crazy. Yeah. You know, trying to figure it out. You know. Whenever he has revealed her here. Mm-hmm. It's like the light was shown. It was a dark world when Christ came. And, uh, of course, we focus at that. And then that, because we focus and look back, then we can look where we're at now and look right on into the future. It goes far beyond our little time that we live in. Incredible. Yeah, because we're specs. In a quick amount of time. Yep. The eternal perspective is where it's all at, isn't it? We tend to focus in on a little bit where we're at, and if you expand it out. Of course, God's not even bound by time. He's putting this in a way that we can look at it humanly. Uh, How can we fathom eternity? So he puts it on a level that we can understand, but still it's the deep things of God. Wow. <laughs> so perhaps when we're finished with this in five years, we should probably study Job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because... <laughs> None of us would be living by the time we got through 40 chapters of Job. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, if we did it verse by verse. I mean, maybe they actually take some, you know, chapter at a time or something. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean... You know, because even at the end of that, where he just says, "I'm sorry, I just, you know, I just blew it. I tried to figure all this out, and there's just, there's just no way." Yeah. Hey, we have a visitor back here. Glad you could come out tonight. Glad you could uh, come on a right in the midst of a fantastic book God wrote called the Book of Ephesians. We do about a verse a week. No, I didn't. I was, did, did anybody know? Yeah, I was hoping to be able to talk to him later. I think he had to, to leave. I, I don't know if he even knew we had a Bible study. And, well, maybe he'll come back.